Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Skip Meetings Podcast, the podcast for curious event professionals embracing the future of business events. My name is Andrea Doyle, and I am the senior editor of Skip Meetings. And in this episode titled Lisa Messina Leads Vegas Style, I have the pleasure of speaking with Lisa Messina, Chief Sales Officer of the Las Vegas Convention and Visitors Authority. In this episode, we talk about what it is like to be the LVCVA's first chief sales officer and how she plans to not just maintain the 5 million convention attendees who were in Vegas for events last year, but grow that number. She also shared with us a challenge of bringing back convention visitation, which is still lagging post-pandemic by about 25%. We chatted about how Las Vegas, the entertainment capital of the world, constantly evolves and about the trifecta that is coming, Formula One, the Super Bowl, and the opening of the highly anticipated MSG Sphere. She shared with us what it was like to be Senior VP of Sales at Caesars and on a road show talking about the opening of the highly anticipated Caesars Forum when the world shut down due to the COVID pandemic. Record-breaking financials are what Q1 2023 boasts, but she stresses the importance of how the industry cannot be naive as there is the possibility of a slowdown as this is part of the ebb and flow. A female leader, she stressed the importance of taking care of other women in the industry and the importance of giving honest feedback that can sometimes include constructive criticism. Finally, she spoke about the importance of developing the talent in this industry for the future. She invites all to connect with her on LinkedIn, and she will take the time to share her story of what it has been like being part of the hospitality industry her entire career. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation as much as I did, and I invite you to check out other episodes of the podcast, which you can find on our website or by subscribing through your favorite podcast service. Detroit has always been America's assembly line of creativity and innovation. It's home to groundbreakers, movers and shakers, the next generation that will change the nation. Bring your meeting to Detroit, then take it all in. Award-winning dining, a captivating live music scene, and world-class outdoor spaces like America's Top Riverwalk, as ranked by USA Today. This is your invitation to join America's true originals. Plan your meeting in Detroit. Get started at visitdetroit.com. So the numbers are staggering. Las Vegas hosted nearly 5 million convention attendees in 2022 and with a robust schedule of meetings, trade shows, and events is looking forward to an even stronger 2023. During a normal year, spending by visitors attending conventions directly supports 43,000 jobs in Las Vegas and results in a direct economic impact of $6.6 billion. You have the 4.6 million square foot Las Vegas Convention Center, more than 150,000 hotel rooms and 15 million square feet of meeting and event space. And you are the chief sales officer for all of that. What is that like? Well, you just made it sound very daunting, (laughs) (laughs) but it's very exciting. Uh, I think that you know, when I look at what this destination has accomplished and how much it's grown, 
those numbers are staggering in a very positive way. Um, but it's exciting to say I'm coming on board to a very, you know, winning destination. Um, and now I've got to figure out what we do to not only maintain those amazing numbers, but grow them. Right. And and you joined last year with the goal of leading and helping grow meeting convention and trade show sales for the city. Um, what do you hope to accomplish? And this is a new role that was established with you in mind. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Our um, chief executive officer, Steve Hill, uh, he's been in his role at the uh, Las Vegas Convention and Visitors Authority for five years now. And coming out of COVID, with the expansion of the Las Vegas Convention Center, the renovation of our um, you know, existing halls, the additions of assets such as Resorts World and Fontainebleau and Caesars Forum opened during that time. And you know, we have 156,000 hotel rooms and 15 million square feet of space. All of our market segments have returned post-COVID. The two that are still lagging is the convention visitation, which is lagging by about 25%, and then international visitation. And it's one part group, one part leisure. And so Steve was very intentional as he was building out his leadership team of the future that they decided to add the job of chief sales officer. So when they started that search, I was uh, grateful to be a candidate for the position. And I'm coming on board with clear expectations to build a best-in-class sales organization that uh, can help the recovery of the convention attendance in the market. And then we have to go beyond that because of all those new assets and extensions of meeting space that I just shared with you. So um, it's very exciting. Like I said, um, we're one of those destinations that I feel that I'm equipped not only from my experience to do this job, but that I have the great fortune of selling this amazing destination that's just constantly evolving itself. So, you know, when salespeople look at um, the types of jobs they want to do, yeah, sure, we like a good challenge. Um, but as far as I see it, my challenge is simply maintaining those amazing numbers. I've got all the assets and resources to support the growth that Steve has identified for me. And um, you talked about evolving. I mean, you have a trifecta coming of Formula One, the Super Bowl, and the opening of the highly anticipated MSG sphere. Can you yes. um, talk about that a bit? Yeah, I mean, those are all great, you know, points, right? So my part of the business within the LVCBA is the business sales. So we're here to drive the Las Vegas Convention Center uh, business and attendance. We're here to deliver, you know, groups of all shapes and sizes to our resort community. And there's another team at the LVCBA who has created this platform of the greatest arena on earth. They've been very intentional about going out and scoring, for lack of a better term, <laughs> uh, all the biggest names in sports. And so we're so proud of the fact that once Allegiant opened uh, we'll have the first Super Bowl in February 2024. We're so excited to be the third race uh, for Formula One on U.S. soil. Um, but Las Vegas style, uh, no offense to the other race stops, but we're obviously going to do this bigger and better. Um, and, you know, just a little bit of a note around those two things is 
not only were the facilities to accommodate those sports developed for those specific purposes, but they're going to be tremendous assets for our convention and meetings customers to utilize on non-game or race days. So that's really exciting for me. Uh, and then MSG Sphere is being developed as a one-of-a-kind, unique, technologically advanced um, entertainment venue. But again, it will also be something that our meetings and conventions customers can utilize as one of their assets. So, you know, I, again, not only get to sell this great destination, but we have people like Formula One and Allegiant and MSG coming into the marketplace and utilizing this as the Petri dish, if you will, for innovation around spaces and large scale events and, you know, truly owning the entertainment capital of the world on top of it. So, all of those assets are not only exciting for the destination from a leisure standpoint, but it gives me, my, me and my team just something else to bring to our customers to keep them coming back to Las Vegas. Right. Last time I was in town, I um, saw with interest the new facility that's being built for Formula One, and that will have event space, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So the... Um, the paddock building, as it's uh, referred to in, in racing terms, which I'm learning a lot, by the way, right now. <laughs> um, if you want to get involved, the best thing to do is watch the Netflix documentary. It'll make you a, a fan real quick because uh, it goes behind the scenes and gives you the storytelling behind the drivers and things like that. And, you know, F1 is somewhat new to uh, a U.S. Uh, person, but internationally, you know, globally, F1 has got such a huge fan following, which is something we've been excited about to kind of bring in the global eyeballs onto Las Vegas and what we're doing. But the paddock building is a four-story structure. It's a thousand feet long, a hundred feet wide. So basically it's the size of three NFL football fields. Um, in the four stories, the base will be the garages for the actual teams. Um, to support their drivers, the staff, the cars, et cetera. The second level will be the paddock club. That is where um, basically the teams and the drivers will have their families and closest friends. And then there's a VIP section on the third floor that will create and is already sold out um, the paddock club experience for viewing the race. And then the fourth story is an open air, indoor, outdoor hospitality space, all of which will be activated during game uh, race, uh, race time, which is November 16th through the 18th of this fall. But then once the race checks out, um, yes, they're packaging now what that looks like to create experiences for customers to buy it out for incentive events, off-prem events, recognition events, things of that nature. So it's really cool to think you know, you have to think that way to have a sustainable business, right? You can't spend all that money and just think that three days is going to make it pay back from an ROI standpoint. So we're excited to have that asset in our backyard now. I mean, it's just amazing to see all the sports that have been added to Las Vegas. I mean, if you think about it, it wasn't that long ago when you had no sports at all. That's exactly right. I mean, it was what, 20, fall of 2018, we got our Vegas Golden Knights. Who, interestingly enough, in season one, went to the Stanley Cup playoffs. So, 
you know, it, it's interesting if you ever go to a game and if you haven't been to one, I'd love to take you one, take you to one as my guest. But the energy, even at this point in the seasons, um, it's just so exciting. It's just done in a way that engages you that even if you're not a hockey fan, you get behind the game. Uh, and our team has done pretty well through the seasons they've been in town. But yeah, hockey was the first. And if you go to a game, they start the storytelling around how we got this hockey team. And they they will uh, recite clips from certain people in the marketplace back then who were like, yeah, hockey will never happen in the desert and things like that. And of course, Las Vegas proved them wrong. So it's just one exciting step in our journey with um, being the greatest arena on earth. And um, wasn't MPI um, in Vegas last year? And one of the opening receptions was held in Allegiant Stadium. Yeah. Allegiant oh, but that's is, not hockey. That's football. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's okay. Like, um, hockey plays at T-Mobile. Um, and then we do a lot of concerts at T-Mobile. And then Allegiant. Um, Allegiant does, uh, obviously, football is what it was built for. Um, we have done lots of uh, soccer, the other football. <laughs> mm -hmm. We've been doing tons of friendlies there, and we're about to um, announce uh, a, re a relationship with CONCACAF, which is the um, portion of FIFA that the U.S. is part of. Uh, we do tons of uh, concert events at Allegiant. Taylor Swift just made Las Vegas her second stop for her um, New Eras tour. Um, sold out two nights completely. Uh, and then, you know, uh, Samantha Johnson would appreciate me giving her a shout out. She's the vice president of special events over at Allegiant. And so she's the one that partnered with MPI to host them there and show off what they can do because they can literally do VIP experiences from 10 to large scale events over 100,000. Um, and that's just really cool because when customers are looking for something unique and different, they can do that. Uh, we had a large corporate group last summer that bought out Allegiant and did their own stadium for their own attendees. Um, so there's lots of diversity in our marketplace to, that, you know, really depending on what you're looking for, we can help match you with the right facilities and partners in town that'll help your vision come true. So yeah, it's pretty exciting. Wow, that's great. How did you get involved in this industry? Well, my uncle is in the restaurant business. And so I started very young uh, doing that, kind of doing the restaurant side, um, decided that I wanted to work in different types of restaurants, everything from quick grab and go to fine dining. That eventually led me to the hotel side um, where I was a banquet manager for a hotel for a while, decided to go to hotel school. Um, and then once I was graduating from hotel school, uh, basically recruiters kind of put me on this path of sales. So I've been doing that for over 25 years now. And I've had the good fortune of working for a lot of great brands, representing different uh, destinations. And 13 years ago, came to Las Vegas, where I was chief marketing officer for Conference Direct for five years, um, went back to Hilton for a short period of time. Uh, then joined Caesars Entertainment for five years. And all of that has provided a diversity uh, and a background for me to be the right candidate for this job now, because I know what our competitive landscape looks like. I know how to serve, you know, our hotel community of all shapes and sizes from focused service to these luxury resorts we have in town. 
And um, it's been a fun, it's been a fun ride. I, I have to say, I'm so glad that I chose this as my career journey. It was quite intentional. And a lot of people don't have the luxury of saying that. So. And you came from the East Coast. You're originally from New Jersey, aren't you? Yes, I am. I'm a very proud Jersey <laughs> girl. I don't have the accent anymore because I've moved around and been away from home for 25 years. But my first restaurant jobs were in New Jersey. My first hotel job was the Sands in Atlantic City, which wow. you probably know as being a resident in New Jersey was imploded years ago. <laughs> <laughs> but when I was there, that was considered like the luxury diamond on the boardwalk, you know? So uh, yeah, that's where my career started. Are you ready to celebrate your successes in the world of meetings and events? The Skift Meetings Awards are back for 2024, recognizing the most innovative business events companies across 15 categories, and we want you to be a part of it. Winners will feature on Skift Meetings, sending a clear signal to events professionals around the world that these are partners they can rely on. The final deadline for submissions is June 11th. We encourage you to start your submission today to secure the best entry rates. For more information and to start your submission, head to live.skift.com. And um, previously, you were senior VP of sales at Caesars, and you you led a team of 120 sales directors. Um, what would you consider your greatest accomplishment at Caesars to be? Yeah, I mean, joining Caesars Entertainment, um, clearly they have a legacy brand, a solid reputation. They had a great sales organization. And so a little bit of like coming into this job at the LVCVA was, how do you take something um, that's going exceptionally well and somewhat break it down a little bit to build it for the needs of the future. And so when I got there, um, it was taking, um, picking up where, you know, my predecessor had left off and kind of looking at the uh, future and saying, what do we need to do to be a best in class sales organization? Um, it was before Caesars Forum opened. It was before the merger with El Dorado. There were so many changes going on. Um, and then, of course, COVID hit. I think you may remember we were on our road show talking about Caesars Forum opening only to have COVID hit and we couldn't open on time. But um, all of that change, uh, all of that evolution of the sales team, naturally or otherwise, uh, was what I needed to lead through. And I needed to ensure that I took care of the salespeople. Um, that that they knew that we were going to do our best to keep as many jobs intact as possible uh, through it all. Um, and I'm proud that we got to the other end of all those three things uh, in a very good way. And we posted some exceptionally large historic numbers as far as revenues and bookings. Um, they're still posting them. I know Caesars Entertainment just had their Q4 earnings call and 2022 was a financially record-breaking year. And I feel a sense of accomplishment in that because I know I was a part of that. Um, and so now I've turned the baton over to Kelly Smith, the new vice president of sales. Um, and I know that she is set up for success to now do what I had to do five years ago and take the team to the next level. So it's all good stuff, but I'm very proud of being able to navigate that team through change and post some winning scores and celebrate the team. 
And what was that like? You're on this road show. You're about to open Caesars Forum. There's so much excitement. And then the world shuts down. Oh, my God, Andrea. <laughs> it is going to go down in time and on record with Michael Massari that I literally was standing in a parking lot in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I was working with Raina Hirschdorfer, who is our director of marketing. And we have our semi truck out there branded with Caesars Forum. And I was talking to one of our meetings, industry magazines and a reporter. And she asked, you know, the question like, oh, my gosh, this is so exciting. Like, tell us about Caesars Forum and why are you in a parking lot, you know, in Minneapolis? And I basically said, you know, uh, we've got. 26,000 hotel rooms in Las Vegas. This was Caesars Entertainment at the time. We're opening this asset because we're committed to the meetings and conventions business. We're so excited about the design of the building. We're excited about the two largest pillarless ballrooms ever built in the world. The customer response has been amazing and timing's great. The design's right, et cetera, so on. And then like 24 hours later, it was Mike calling me on my mobile phone like, this thing is for real. Like, I think we're going to shut down the strip. I think you need to come home. And I just was like, oh my goodness, because literally a half hour later or half hour earlier, I was just talking about how everything was right in the world. And then everything kind of flipped the other way. <laughs> so kind of one of those embarrassing moments in your career, but like who knew, right? Like how many of us look back on COVID and say, did you really expect what happened to happen. So I'm just going to keep that in my memory log to say, while I didn't know it, a lot of people didn't know it as well. So, <laughs> right. I remember talking to Steve Hill and he said they actually had to get chains and padlocks to close the casinos because they were never closed before. That's exactly right. I mean, if you went by, you know, Bellagio, I remember there's the part on the corner of Flamingo and Las Vegas Boulevard where they have all their luxury shops. And they go into all the restaurants that overlook, you know, the lake in front of Bellagio. And it was plywood on front of the doors. And that's what they had to do because none of these buildings were built with locks. They were never intended to close. It's a 24-7 business. So, yeah, it was it was really strange. And then, like, the weeks coming off of that, you had families riding their bicycles down the Las Vegas Boulevard because... Who would have ever thought you were going to be able to do that with your family down the Las Vegas Strip? So some interesting times. I pray we never see them again in our lifetime. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's good storytelling now. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that was obviously such a challenging time. Do you feel there are any other headwinds that are in the future for the industry or is it all smooth sailing? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, all of our operators in the marketplace are about to post their Q1 2023 numbers, and they are going to share the same sentiment they've shared for the last seven quarters, which is record-breaking financials. Um, they're very excited about that. All of us have our eyes on the ball and are not trying to turn a blind eye to the potential of a recession. You know, the economics are such that the financials have shown um, globally, you know, the dips that the economists themselves would define as a recession. We ourselves have not seen any slowdown, but we're not naive. 
So we're doing the things to continue to deliver on our brand promises, make sure that our customers find value, make sure that um, you know service and the, the labor side is there to meet the service expectations, um, and that we're going to continue to do business development, that we're going to continue to ask our customers for business. We're going to continue to ask our, say thank you to our customers for their business. We don't want to be naive against that, but you know, we all have a sense that uh, while we haven't seen any slowdown yet, we do anticipate it at some level, just because that's the history of it. There's an ebb and flow to the economy that we've seen. And so we don't know what it will be, but something will impact a market segment uh, that we serve. And so we've got to be ready to double down on another market segment and pump that one up to kind of maintain uh, what we've been looking you know, looking at as far as the financial production we've seen. So, okay. Is there anyone who mentored you early in your career or helped you become the type of leader that you are today? You know, I'm really thankful that I worked for a lot of tough leaders. Um, you know, I think um, Bob Jacobs with Hyatt Hotels, who sadly has passed away from cancer a couple years ago, Brian Stevens, who's the CEO of Conference Direct, Michael Massari with Caesars Entertainment. My good fortune with leaders like them has been they've always been transparent and honest with me. Um, they've always shared what's going well, you know, what I could think about differently. Um, they've given me the autonomy and space uh, to lead and to make errors without being scared of making those errors. And um, they've all had a pursuit of excellence um, that I value um, without that just, you know, heaviness on your shoulders that you have to be perfect, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So you strive for perfection. You want to be best in class. You want to be the best you can possibly be. But it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to make bad decisions as long as you learn from them and grow from them. And so those are three individuals that I've been very thankful for. Uh, in my career that have helped craft who I am as a leader. And you're a female leader who's broken the glass ceiling. How important is it to you to mentor other females coming up? It is exceptionally and very important to me to make sure that I am taking care of women and giving them the support, the encouragement, the mentorship, that I have received, you know, when I was coming up, there weren't as many women in the ranks. So a lot of my mentorship stories are men, um, but I'm thankful because men recognize, the men that I worked for recognized that diversity in the workplace had a value long before it became a headline. So I had that on my side, um, but I've also had some challenging, you know, times coming up as a female leader, sometimes only being the uh, only female in a room or one of two of us, right? And so I take those learnings and I try to share them with people that I lead. And I'm very proud of the accomplishments like a Kelly Smith being able to earn, you know, the promotion of the vice president role at Caesars Entertainment and many other people uh, in the past. But I'm all about it. I, um, I often get tapped by people uh, from all levels in our industry to say, would you mentor me? Would you spend time and talk to me about your career? Will you be honest with me about what you 
you know, dealt with and how you handled it? And the answer is always yes, because I want to be that um, service to our industry and to the other female leaders looking to achieve the things I've achieved. Do you have a key takeaway for women coming up in the industry? You know, it's be yourself. <laughs> it's surround yourself with advocates, but advocacy in your support system also includes people who are transparent and honest with you. So you don't want somebody who's just a supporter because they want something out of you. You don't want a supporter just because um, they're part of your fan club. You need people who are also honest with you and will share the tough talk, right? Like mm -hmm. if something doesn't go well, you want that person who says, hey, you need to think about this. <laughs> you, mm -hmm. you, you should probably, you know, read this book or attend this seminar or, you know, think about these things because somebody who's just constantly giving you accolades isn't going to help serve you in evolving. And so, you know, it's, it's being proud and surrounding yourself with a support mechanism and advocates, but making sure that that advocacy includes a real fresh look in the mirror to say, what are the things that are strengths versus opportunities and being willing to um, accept those opportunities and work on those as development. Are there certain attributes and or qualities that you've developed that have helped you become successful? I think two things that all female leaders struggle with is difficult decisions. Mm -hmm. um, we have bigger hearts than our male counterparts, and that's obviously not equal across the board. But in general, we tend to lead more with our hearts than men do. And so we will struggle with difficult decisions. And we need to feel more comfortable with that. So when it comes to making tough calls that might be um, might not be popular with the people we serve, um, when you're holding people accountable for the roles that um, are operating in your organization, you need to be comfortable with making tough calls and realizing you can't always lead with heart that you have a business to run. So you can balance that still. I'm not saying forget about your heart. But you can't always do the thing that your heart wants to do. You have to balance it with your business mind as well. Um, so that's one thing. And then the other thing is women and people listening to this will roll their eyes a little bit. We have a terrible um, ability to say no. You cannot do all things, right? Like you have to have balance and balance not just personally and professionally, but balance within your work life, meaning you cannot say yes to everything. You cannot be all things to all people. You have to be comfortable with who you are as a leader. You have to have those feedback reels and that, you know, circle of support and advocacy. Um, but you have to be okay that you're not going to be everything all the time or else you're never going to get anything done. So having the ability to say no to things, having the ability to prioritize and stand firm in what you believe you need to do to accomplish your job. Um, that again, takes a place where it tugs at your heart a little bit because you don't want to say no, especially in the hospitality community. We never want to say no, right? So, but you're going to break yourself and not be the best person. And you're probably going to slip in meeting your objectives um, if you try to be all things to all people. So what is the one thing people would be surprised to learn about you? I'm a total goofball. <laughs> you know, I think when I talk to you right now about balancing heart and mind, 
you know, at the core, I have just such a free spirit. I'm quite a laid back person. So I definitely hold my account, myself accountable for getting the job done. I hold myself accountable for striving for excellence and being best in class. I want people to look at me and the organizations I serve and my teams and say, those people know what they're doing. They're aspirational. I want my team, my leadership style to look like that. But when I go home and I see my husband and my puppies, you know, I'm a total goofball. I'm just like laid back. I try to be humorous. My husband would tell you I'm not as funny as I think I am. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, not everybody always gets to see that side of me. Um, But uh, I just, I think humor and humbleness are solid qualities that help you lead and balance the difficulties and challenges you deal with as a leader. Is there anything you think we should know that I haven't asked you about the industry, about Vegas, what the future holds? I think that we need to beat the drum really loudly about engaging a more diverse workforce and tapping our younger students now to talk about how cool this industry is and what unique opportunities they will have exposure to by joining this organization, this industry, right? Um, It is a challenge for us as an industry. We have probably the lowest enrollment in hospitality programs than we've ever had. Um, So it's not just a laborer's issue as far as our frontline service personnel, although that's a concern too. We need to be developing the talent of the future. And, um, you know, I just welcome anybody listening to this to reach out to me on LinkedIn. And I would love to share more about my story, uh, engage young professionals in, you know, connecting you with others uh, in the industry who could tell their story and really, you know, just share what awesome things we've experienced um, by being part of the hospitality industry and um, hoping to engage more younger folks so that we can build the uh, bench strength for the future. Right. What is your superpower? Wow, my superpower. I think it is the ability to um, take the most difficult situation and peel it back so mm-hmm. that I can make it happen. You know what I mean? Like, basically not take myself so seriously that I can't tackle the biggest obstacles. At the end of the day, I'm not a heart surgeon. I'm not a brain surgeon. What we do is supposed to be fun. And so while we get our fair share of challenges, at the end of the day, all of those challenges can be peeled back in a way that makes it light and that we can solve these problems and still have fun. This was great. Our last question is always, who do you think we should have on our next podcast? Ooh, that's a good one. Next podcast. You know, probably somebody from the event side of the business or the university side of the business. That's a great idea. You know, maybe Stu uh, Stowe Shoemaker, as an example, who is um, our current president of the UNLV Hospitality School. 
um, his perspective on what he's seeing as we develop our bench strength for the future. And maybe a Samantha Johnson, uh, who is our vice president of events from Allegiant, who, you know, has seen some pretty cool, unique things that meeting planners are doing uh, to meet their business objectives by using alternate venues um, to celebrate their people and launch their products and things like that. So I would say those two would be interesting. Perfect. I'm going to yeah. reach out. Lisa, as cool. always, such a pleasure to talk to you. You're such an inspiration. Thank you, Andrea. I appreciate you including me. See you in Vegas. All right. Come on out. Thanks. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. -bye. Bye.